Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, <laughs> thinking that you're just going to love her latest selection. And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they recommended. That's us. Oh, yeah. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. Mm -hmm. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, inviting magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction, fantasy, and in this case, a little bit of light historical mystery. Rule. <laughs> I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. You can keep your elves in space operas. I will. Thank you. Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked <laughs> up on her own. I actually think you might have picked this one up on your own. I might have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even if a book isn't entirely your style, it may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess I we'll so. see. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert. Yeah, we definitely, definitely. There, there alert. are, there is a spoilability factor to this book. For sure. Yes. Now is the time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including the ending and any magical and non-magical twists. Sure. Yeah. If you haven't yet read this month's book, The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner, and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again when you've read it, because you probably will read it. This was a. Yeah. I'm. I'm solidly convinced, and you've got a good game face. Like, I don't actually know how you felt about it, and I haven't sneaked any peeks at your notes. I'm solidly That's very generous of you. <laughs> Occasionally, I do, like, the shoulder, like, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, well, uh, I've got so many notes today, and so many are capitalized. And this week, you know, they're fine. <laughs> so I, I feel pretty confident that this was this was a good selection for both of us. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I guess I guess you'll have to tell me. I will, but I'm going to hold out until after you give us a little summary. A little summary. Or as much of a summary as you want. Mm. I'm go medium grade summary. Go. Because there are two storylines to this one. So general overview. So this book um, is the debut book from the author Sarah Penner. Mm -hmm. And she wrote this kind of dual storyline perspective, which I realize I've picked a couple of now, so maybe mm -hmm. I've got a, a type. I think that's pretty common, though. Yeah. It, and it's interesting how they can and cannot bring things together. But this one in particular, one storyline is set in the late 1700s, like 1790, and it follows two women, uh, an older woman named Nella, who is an apothecarist, an apothecary lady. I think it's apothecary, which is weird. Like the place and the person is the same word because I looked it up because I was very confused by that. But go ahead. I don't think I can reasonably say that. I understand. So it seems not right. I'm going to continue to call her an apothecarist, sure. which is likely wrong, but, you know, it's okay. So she she does this thing right. where she makes stuff and she gives it to people. She's out like of, a pharmacist. She is a pharm <laughs> pharmacopoeia, yes. She gives these little bottles to people that are full of stuff that are good for you and sometimes not. Um, so that follows her storyline, and it intersects with a young woman named Eliza, who's 12, I think, at the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. So the apothecarist is following in her mother's footsteps but takes a bit of a darker path where her mother uh, used the apothecary to sell healing remedies to people uh, Nella, Nella had had some tragedy in her life and turned towards poisons. And so her job in this apothecary is to sell uh, tinctures and potions to women uh, who maybe want to rid themselves of men in their lives who are, are doing dastardly things. It is very dark in terms of 
the view on men. Oh, yeah. Men, men do not come out well in this book. Mm-mm. And then the competing storyline is set in current day London mm-hmm. and follows a lady named Carolyn who was coming to London for her 10-year wedding anniversary only to find out that her husband had cheated on her. So she comes on her own to do some soul searching and she ends up finding this tiny bottle uh, when she is mudlarking, which we'll get to later. That's an awesome word. In the Thames. And it sends her on this kind of historical mystery journey to figure out where this bottle came from. And towards the end of the story, they their stories merge a little bit. So, Again, yeah. men not turning out not good for the men, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, either in modern day or in history. Well, and for our many thousands of listeners, all, all 200 bajillion of them, uh, <laughs> you may recall that last month we talked about the girl with the dragon tattoo by... Mm-hmm. Larson. Stig Larson. Stig. Stig. Whatever his name is. Larson. And boy, that was a humdinger. <laughs> that was a rough one. Uh, because his, you like that book, the title in whatever Swedish uh-huh. was, was Men Who Hate Women. <laughs> and then this book, I was like, well, I guess we're going the opposite here. This is ladies who are not handling. Revenge. They are not having any of that. Okay, goodbye. Uh, final goodbye in some cases. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the basic premise of, of the two um, starting points mm-hmm. for these two characters, and I am I'm fascinated to know if I read if I read you accurately on this one. Did you like it? Did so, you not hate it? Is that better? I actually so I'm <laughs> conflicted about this book for a couple of reasons. Um, I enjoyed it very much while I was listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, after the fact, you know how I do. Like mm-hmm. I listen to a book and then it turns around in my dumb little brain for a little while and I go, oh, I really like this part about it. Oh, I really love this part. And I can always tell when I like a book because I'm still thinking about it a couple of days or maybe even a couple of weeks later. Sure. Like, like especially the ethical dilemmas, you know, what would I do and why mm-hmm. is this important and, and how did the author set it up so that you really feel for both sides. Yes. <laughs> you do not feel for both sides in this book. Well, as I <laughs> was thinking about this, all I kept doing, because I was totally entertained while it was going mm-hmm. on, entertained, engaged, nope. you know, interested, all that kind of stuff. Good pacing. Writing sure. was fine. Good pacing you know, All that kind of stuff. But as I thought about it afterwards, I was like, well, that doesn't add up. And there's a big, huge hole here. And she didn't follow this. This just kind of left me dangling. So I got mad after oh. the fact. But while it was happening, I was entertained. <laughs> and I thought the writing was good. So... And then I'm also sort of susceptible to other people's opinions. And I looked it up online and holy cow, did you look up? No. Wow. So there are people that are very angry about this book. Really? Super angry. I like, had no idea. Humongous tirades about how stupid this book is. I, I am not there. I am <laughs> I am like I was I was whelmed by it, right? Okay. Yeah. Not over, not under. Yeah. Just whelmed. It was fine. Yeah. Um and I would kind of liken it to the Da Vinci Code, where it's a great story. Which I've never read. Okay. And so, you don't need to make me read No, I won't. Good. It was written to me like a screenplay. Ah, okay. Yeah. So interesting, engaging story, but, well, the, the Dan Brown stuff, not a good writer, in my opinion. It mm-hmm. was just too yeah. simplistic. Okay. I thought um, Sarah Penner was a much better writer, but there were just too many things that didn't, like... At the end, I was like, that, "I'm not satisfied by how that worked out." In the, in the ni- the 1790 timeline. No, actually, that was more satisfying. But like the the big one to me, was <laughs> the likelihood that this little apothecary was going to be untouched in the middle of this London block, yeah, where everything else had been t- torn down and, and rebuilt. Yep. And somehow 
this tiny little apothecary was going to be completely a, like a vault in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was going to discover it in an afternoon. She did. And she got minimally dirty doing it. Right. Didn't get bit by any spiders nope. or giant underground rats. Right. There were definitely, this was a debut novel. Sure. Like you, you could tell that there is still some, some polishing that needs to happen in there. What I appreciated about this story was in part the kind of the slow drip Um, And we don't often get that. Like sometimes you'll get like the narrator will go back and they'll say, well, you know, this is why I wanted to do blah, 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 blah. And in this one, you didn't really get any of the – you didn't get any foreshadowing. Right. Like you would get a little piece of information. Right. And then you get some – maybe some narrative. You get a little piece of information and then you get some scenery. You get a little bit. So that it didn't feel like the story was giving itself away as you went along. Agreed. And I liked that. Mm -hmm. I thought that the, the pacing of this was really well set. And I actually didn't mind those things because, you know, I don't mind a little magic and mystery in my sure. life. Um, and, you know, we've, I think we've both been to London. I've only been there for a couple of hours. Okay. It was a very small amount of time. I've been to London a couple of times now. I can totally imagine <laughs> that there's like a 12 story high rise with like a rooftop putt putt garden. Right. And then immediately next door is like, I don't know, a brew house that hasn't been changed since the 1800s. Right. And then there's this like weird cobbledy pathway between, and you're like, huh, that's a weird grade. I wonder what's under there. Right. I can imagine that. Like, right. I can. I can see that someone was like, that smells like garbage. I don't ever want to go in there. <laughs> and she, maybe they didn't narrate it, maybe just held her nose and dived on in. Right. Um, so that part wasn't as as rough of a kind of a, a story conclusion for me. Right. I think one of the parts that I would have liked her to tie up a little bit differently was the um, – so uh, in the earlier storyline, Nella mm-hmm. befriends this young lady, Eliza, who has been sent to her apothecary to pick up a potion to kill off – the, the husband of her house who has been starting to make unwanted advances towards this 12-year-old girl. Right. And so his wife is like, mm, no, we're going to... That's going to end. We're going to do this other thing here. <laughs> um, so Nella is sent in to, to get this thing, and they end up... The husband passes away, and Nella uh, kind of takes her under her wing because the girl is like, well, I'm interested in this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And at the end of the story... You find out that one of the other patrons of this apothecary has been found out and has uh, left some evidence behind that leads them back to the shop. So Ella, uh, Nella and Eliza are running away and Eliza magically had made this tincture that lets her. First time. First time out out the gate. She did. From a book she found at like a hokum pokum (laughs) bookstore. So like that one, you know, she she drinks a little tincture. She jumps over the river into the Thames. She magically survives survives it and goes on to live a happy life where then her husband magically kind of offs at an early age. You're like, "Mm, okay, that's that could have maybe used a little workshopping in there. But the enjoyability of this book was was really high for me. It was. Um, it wasn't funny, no. But it wasn't dour. Like it, mm-hmm. this was a dark story, mm-hmm. but it wasn't so dark that you were like, "Oh, I I need to go take like a bubble bath right now to right. to kind of recleanse myself." <laughs> right. And the themes in here, I thought, resonated really well uh, in current times around mm-hmm. um, female autonomy mm-hmm. and sovereignty mm-hmm. and motherhood and impending motherhood. And oh, what choice. would make you think about that right now? I don't know. That's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> but um, it was definitely like the themes from 1790 yeah. to right now yeah. about how people treat other people and how the choices that we make impact others. Uh, you know, when I reread this, 
this morning. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, it just really kind of hit a lot of high notes for me that this is this is it's still life. Yeah. 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 I definitely agree with that. And I definitely thought that the timing of this in terms of um, agency yes. and how much control people have over their lives and kind of the desperation that lack of control mm-hmm. breeds, yeah. um, you know, hit the nail on the head and was very timely and and timeless um, yes. at the same time. Well, like, no. Wow, how could I use time in this sentence? Timely and timeless at the same time. Um, I would wow. say that your statement was very time appropriate. Thank you. You're welcome. Like Nella's story, she watched her mom as this wonderful healing apothecary. And her mom dies, and she's a young woman, and she's trying to make a go of it. And this is, you know, obviously a fictionalized story, but it sounds like something that certainly could have happened. Sure. She gets taken in by a man who woos her mm-hmm. and says that she's his one and only, and he gets her pregnant. And then he uh, forces her to miscarry because he has a wife that he, that he didn't tell her about. And then she and the wife get together and they're like, did you know? Did huh. you know? How'd that happen? Yeah. And it's just this this repetitious, unfortunate pattern of people not treating other people very well. Yeah. And it's like those basic rules you learn in kindergarten. Be nice to other people. Yeah. Don't lie. Yeah. Um, only poison people when you really have a good cause for it. Is that one? <laughs> when did, there's no other did you choice. Learn, did you learn that in kindergarten? Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I think maybe I was slow, maybe second or third grade. Solid. I like it. Know. Maybe we should talk about something lighter. Mudlarking. Mudlarking. I had never heard of that How before. much do I want to do that? Except I think it's super stinky. I'm I'm not okay with that necessarily. But don't, you could buy nose clips. Okay, then I would pass out. You, can't you know the breathing thing? Yeah, but you have... You have a second. There's a mouth. Yeah, like I know. A, yeah. yeah. No, anyway. not going to work for you. Okay. So, I will do it for both of us. Okay. So I'm ready. Talk about it. It's fascinating. Okay. So if no one has gleaned yet what we're actually talking about, mudlarking is a, I don't know, tourist thing, I guess. Pastime? Just, yes, pastime. Yes. I can see someone on a Saturday afternoon. Time. I said the word time again. Amazing. You, you are truly a Gifted. pillar among women. Thank you. Thank you. So mudlarking, uh, in this story at least, is people who go out into the banks of the Thames and they're wearing galoshes, I assume and hope. And wellies. And wellies, yes. And maybe nose clips. And their whole goal (laughs) is to like sputz around in the mud searching for things that people threw into the river decades and centuries ago. So like one of the things they were talking about is like we used to find tons of pipe, like ceramic pipe pieces because we were building a lot of structures around here. And those have mostly been found and removed. And now that we're getting down to a lower level of sediment, you're finding things that were tossed in the river and settled in the in the riverbed in like 200, 250 years ago. So they're finding pieces of broken shards of pottery. Mm-hmm. And they're finding little apothecary vials. And I just thought that sounded like the most amazing, fun thing that I want to go do. I have no idea if it's actually real. I couldn't bring myself to research it because if it's not real, I'd be sad. Absolutely. That would be heartbreaking. Yes. That would be the worst part of the book. Yes. To find out that that's not accurate. Correct. I am very excited about it. <laughs> so you don't want to yes. do no, that? No, I think it sounds fabulous. I'm just, I'm worried about the smell factor. I'm, yeah, I'm dead fish. I'm not a really good, I have a, my olfactory is a little hyper. And yeah. so, you know, I, I'm the one that in the house who says, ooh, there's something bad in the house like three days before my husband. And then he's like, oh, yeah, now I smell it. Got it. So. That Easter egg that we jammed under the corner yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that would be the only downside. Um, I love getting dirty, love playing in the mud. Mm-hmm. So that part would be completely fine. Um, it just sounded like 
you know, if you're visiting mm-hmm. or if you live there or whatever, go out and play in the mud for a day. And Absolutely. then you find stuff. It's it's like a gift bag that the river gives you, <laughs> but you have to work really hard through the mud to get to it. It just sounded so gosh darn fun. I fully agree. Yes. And the dude, um, what was his name? Uh, yeah, Bachelor the... Alf. someone. Alf. Bachelor Alf. Bachelor so, Alf. And he was Bachelor Alf even though he'd been married for 40 years mm-hmm. because – they found so many wedding or engagement rings that women had thrown off the um, bridges because that was the thing to do. That's an expensive way to learn that she really doesn't dig you. And they're not going to jump in there and try and get it back because nope. if if uh, if folks have read any historical novels about the, the River Thames running yeah. through London, is not good. The stink factor has been there for a long time. Correcto. That is, <laughs> that is a waterway that has been used to remove a lot of waste from city <laughs> residents. So anyways, I thought that that was a very interesting little tidbit. And when I was doing a little bit of research, not about mudlarking, yes. but about the background of the book, um, apparently the author had really wanted to include an additional kind of like an expository almost in that first part of the book where she went on a further tour. I couldn't tell if it was Bachelor Al- with Bachelor Alf or not. She went on a further tour through the city mm-hmm. looking at like small little areas and things you wouldn't expect to find. Hmm. And that was where she heard about the lost apothecary. But that was too on the nose. So they removed it. Got it. But wouldn't that have been fun? That would have been fun. there too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. so another part of this that I both liked and struggled with is Gaynor, who is mm-hmm. – um, Happens to be Bachelor Alf's daughter. Yes. Who is a rockin' librarian. Yes, she is. In the maps department of the British Library. Library. So, you know, we love us some good librarian stories. I have been to one location of the British Library. Ooh. Yes, I have. What did you learn there? Oh, that I like the building. It was very pretty. (laughs) I was a tourist. I wasn't there, like, doing research. I was just looking around going, ooh, shiny. Nice. Yeah. So Gaynor is, um, Alf just sort of casually says, you want to learn more about this? Mm Mm-hmm go to the British uh, Library and ask for Gaynor. And so Carolyn does, and um, and they kind of become fast friends. Mm-hmm. And Gaynor seems like a really cool person. She's very um, – uh, first of all, she's a great researcher mm-hmm. and very good at her job and very enthusiastic. But then she's also just a kind, compassionate person who, Appears to be. you know, kind of reaches out and is helpful to Carolyn, even though yeah. she knows that – she doesn't know the full story, but she knows something's going on. Sure. And then she comes to Carolyn's rescue um, when Carolyn's in a bad way with <laughs> sure, the police. Sure is. And after I thought about that interaction, and she goes, I mean, she's in the hospital. Her husband is about to die. She's being accused of poisoning him, yep. which she did, did not, not do. Did not do it. Um, and she, just in this desperation, calls um, Gaynor. And Gaynor's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can vouch for all of that, which she kind of could. Like, she went out on a limb. She sure did. For Carolyn, and then she goes in and gets her lunch because she realizes that she's all frazzled and frazzled mm-hmm. and rattled, and you know, yeah. And then Carolyn's like, "Okay, kind of done with you, thanks." And then she doesn't tell her all of the new information that she's found out. Yeah, so until much later. Really weird to me how she was keeping the one person that was really genuinely on her side yeah. at arm's length, and I, I couldn't figure out why that would be. Do you have any thoughts about that, or was was that just an oddity for you as well? It was a little bit of an oddity, but I took it with, you know, some chunks of salt on this one. Got that, it. 
that Gaynor was a, a sideline character, mm-hmm. that their point was to help our main character along her path. Yeah. And so part of it was you are an appropriately placed character in the library to help me get more information about this vial I found in the river. Yes. Part of it is you can vouch for me that I didn't actually try and off my husband because we were doing this research together about this vial I found in the river. Right. And then poor Carolyn is trying to figure out, like, what is going on with her husband right. who followed her to London even though he had to have known she didn't want him to be there. he She just found out that he was cheating on her. They were trying to ha- start a family. Right. Uh, he doesn't seem remorseful at all. No. No. And then she finds out that he shows up at their hotel room and complains he's got a cough. Instead of rubbing some eucalyptus oil on his throat to alleviate it, he drinks some of it, which she later finds out is on purpose to make her pity him. Like, yeah, that that's is what you do. That is a lot of processing. So I wasn't <laughs> surprised that she was like, okay, thank you so much. Love the food. Let's talk later. I got to do this other thing right now right. because my brain does not have enough synapses right. to say like, these 12 things are all priorities right now. The one priority <laughs> is, why did you drink that eucalyptus oil? You big dumb dumb. Like, that's not a good choice. Don't yeah. do that. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. whole thing was weird. And and that leads to one other, and, I'll, and then I'll stop picking, but mm. one other thing that I that I was like, mm, this doesn't really track for me, mm. is that if James was so, he admitted to her mm-hmm. that he was bored and unhappy. Yep. And so, yes, he had this affair, and mm-hmm. it was this one time, and gosh, wasn't it a mistake? Gosh. Yeah, super huge mistake, which she finds out is not entirely true, mm-hmm. and she's understandably mm-hmm. upset. Yep. Um, but then he does this weird manipulative thing of drinking poison, essentially, mm-hmm. to get her to pity him. And I'm thinking, no, you know, if you've been unhappy for years, yeah. I, that that's not going to – I mean, I don't know. I, I, I didn't mind that part as much. The, the characters that I kind of came to see of the two of them – so Carolyn, you know, she and her husband met when they were both – in college mm-hmm. doing their undergrad degrees. Yep. She had planned to go on and get her master's in history. He proposed and she just let it all go right. to support him in his career development. Right. And so she has been shoving down all of her own stuff and wants and needs for a decade. And now they're finally ready to start a family because he's at a place where they can financially afford it. And so she's put all of her kind of ambitions into that. And he has spent that same period of time maybe a little bit quietly resenting the fact that she was going to do great things right? and looking for something a little bit more extra. Now he's been caught and change is scary. Right. So he's like, well, last ditch effort. Right. I'm going to fly there and spend a lot of money. I'm going to accidentally not really on purpose drink this poison. Maybe she'll take me back. We'll work it all out. But just enough to get sick. But not dead. Yeah. N- neither of them made really good choices yeah. around that. Like if I had been Carolyn, don't let him in that room. Like, right. you right. may have both paid for that hotel room, but you left him. You're Her separated. parents paid for it, man. Yeah. Don't that, – that's – there were a lot of – these were flawed characters, all sure. of them. Sure, And they were meant to be. Yeah. They were meant to all of them elicit really different responses for us. Like, I – you know, the characters in the earlier timeline who were providing – poison to these women (laughs) to kill off the men in their lives that are treating them badly, either because, like, in one case, a sister killed off her brother because he was planning to kill their dad to get all the inheritance money. Right, because that's better. All of it's awful, right? (laughs) And then a lot of these women are killing off their spouses because they're cheating on them Mm -hmm. or they're attempting to 
molest people. Right. Like, none of it is good. <laughs> um, but it also is meant for an empathy build yeah. for these characters that you would not initially go like, that's a good career choice. Right. I support that. Right. Good on you. The same way when we read The Chemist. Mm-hmm. You know, at the start, you're like, mm, no, that's not good. Yeah. But then about a third of the way in, you're like, I get it. Yeah. It's not my career path. I right. don't like condone murder or poisoning or any of those things. But within the context of the story, I, I get it. You've got yeah. limited choices. Yeah. You make the best. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she did a nice job of drawing the, um, the differences between the mom who yes. um, Nella's mom who it was an apothecary for women yes. and it was for women's health and yes. happiness to give them options and um, relief yep. from pain and so Nella just took it in a different like oh I could give you relief from pain mm-hmm. what's his name <laughs> yeah. Sli- slightly different turn of events right. Right. Uh, yeah it was it was just a fascinating story to me, yeah. and I liked the premise enough that I was okay looking over some of the the mismatch. Yes, that got a little further in. And I would say that even with all of my you know picking apart, yeah. I would say I enjoyed it very much while I was listening to it. It was entertaining. The story was good, yeah. um, and I would recommend it to someone who's looking for a light read. Yes, you know that just wants to be entertained for amount you know light poisoning read. Sure. Yes. Because who's not interested in that? Well, so the debut, her uh, Sarah Penner, this is her first author. She's an American author. Uh, she's born in Kansas, somewhere in the Midwest. Okay. Um, and she worked in finance before this, so I'm ah. not sure where her, her love of this came from. Right. Uh, but now she works full-time writing, and her next book is coming out in 2023, and it's called The London Seance Society. Ooh. Yes. Set in the mid-1800s has seances in it. That's about all I know at this point. So Love it. I, like, I'm already, I enjoyed this one enough that I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll right. give it another I'll try. I'll give that one a go. Yep. yep. Well, I'm glad that this one didn't uh, make you incredibly sad. No. Or make you mad about how magic doesn't work for you. So I'm going to consider this one a win. I, I would call it a win, and I think that it was entertaining and no. Solid. Yeah. yeah, solid. Well, are you going to do me a solid next month <laughs> and have us read something, I don't know, less women hatey? Yes. Okay, good. Yay. The the protagonist in our book for next month is like about 11 years oh, old. Okay. And she is very charming and very smart and very chemisty. We're we're all about the okay. the chemistry and the women. Love so yes. um, we are going to read The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie by oh. Alan Bradley. And it's a mystery. I know mysteries aren't normally your gig. I actually have read this one before. You have? But it was when it first came out. So okay. a decade, 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it will be time. a good reread. Okay. Yes. So did you enjoy it? I have no idea. It's been so long. <laughs> I can tell you that the cover is green. Yes. And that there's a bird on it. Yes. That's with it. A postage That's stamp in its beak. That's all I know. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going <laughs> to reread it. Um, I've listened to it, and the woman that does the narrating is fabulous. For anybody who is on the fence about listening versus reading, I would strongly recommend. I think her name is Jane Entwis- Entwistle, and okay. she does a dynamite job of being Flavia DeLuce's voice. Okay, Lady I like it. Deleuze. So we are going to read Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie by Alan Bradley. All righty. Well, thank you for joining us on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please join us next month when we will be reading The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie by Alan Bradley. Thank you and keep on reading. <laughs>